Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte from Evidence for Faith, and we're doing something a little different on the podcast today. We are currently in the Florida Keys with our marine biology program. It is a marine biology course with an apologetics focus. And we decided instead of leaving you guys hanging for like 10 days, two weeks, that we would record the apologetics side of this course and share it with you guys online. Now, the marine biology program is an experience for students 14 and up. If you'd like to learn more about this program, you can actually check out the links in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marine biology or click on the events tab. But before we jump into things today, I would like to thank our sponsors who have made this trip possible. We have Lapota Enterprises, John and Abigail Lapota, Marv and Joey Susan. Michael and Denise Lane, Caleb and April Williams, Stitch It Custom Embroidery and So Much More, who provide a lot of the t-shirts and merchandise that we do for this trip. And finally, Bezalel Crafts, the Anderson family. So with that, enjoy today's podcast. Father God, we thank you for the day we've had. Lord, we thank you for the week we've had. We thank you for the safety you provided for us. We thank you for the wonderful creatures that just shout your existence, marvel at your wonderful design, and are just flabbergasted by how well you have planned and organized everything. And tonight, Lord, as we just take a moment and reflect upon your word, and as we look to see what's going on, as we've seen how things began, we've talked about that, the pivotal point, and now as we look sort of at the end, what's happening right now, it's everything is something that it, you have planned out. And it's so cool that we're in the opportunity and at the precise moment of time to witness this. And we thank you for it. So open up our hearts and our minds. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, do the teaching. And just, you know the needs of each person, you know what they need to hear. We ask, Lord, that you would just speak to him in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You know, the washing machine's going? Oh, boy, this will be fun. Yeah. I should have prayed to cast out demons here with nothing the way it was last night. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you actually shook hands? with somebody from Italy. Anybody can, in, in the last year, if you shook hands with somebody from Italy. Okay, a couple of you have. Spain? Portugal? What kind of neighborhood do you live in? <laughs> oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. Now, do you know, some nations, like the countries are, like Italy, Italy's been around for a long time. But um, I don't know if anybody knows this without reading this or anything. Do you know what, what nation is the oldest nation that has retained its culture throughout human history? It's Israel. It's the oldest one. Uh, you can, do you know that there are, there are Orthodox Jews that can actually trace their ancestry all the way back to the tribe of Judah? There are some people who can do that. And what's also interesting is that culture is still following its Old Testament laws and stuff. They still follow that. 
for instance, right now, you know, we're, we've just had Passover and stuff. So they still celebrate these things. And they still have the same holidays and stuff. Certain things they don't have, like they aren't making the animal sacrifices and stuff because they don't have a temple. Though that might change very soon, too. We might get into that in a little bit. But there, um, you see, that culture has existed. The Egyptians, now what I've talked about this in the past with people, they say, well, the Egyptians have been around forever, and Egypt is still a country today. But that is not the same thing. Egypt has been conquered and taken over by so many different cultures that the original Egyptians had built the pyramids and stuff. That culture is gone. I mean, when was the last time you walked down or talked to some Egyptian on his way to the Temple of Ra or the Temple of you know, Isis or something? That culture is gone. Matter of fact, the Egyptians have been conquered by so many different people so many times. Even in ancient history, the Hiskos, if you know world history, the Hiskos invaded Egypt, kicked out the Egyptians, and they reigned as Egyptians. And after that, the Thebians came. And the Thebians kicked out the people who were there, and they called themselves Egyptians. And this goes on and on and on throughout time. So the Egyptians are not like that. Alexander the Great, the great Macedonian king, came. He conquered Egypt and then died not long afterwards. And when he died, his king, he didn't have an heir to take over his throne uh, after he conquered pretty much the known world. And so his uh, he had four generals that divided up his kingdom. One of them was named uh, Ptolemy um, the First Soter. And what he did is he claimed the area of Egypt as his kingdom, and he ruled it. So the, the Ptolemaic um, dynasty lasted for a long time. You've all heard of Cleopatra. That's Cleopatra the Seventh. And Cleopatra the Seventh. And we watched movies, Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, Mark Antony, and stuff. Cleopatra was not Egyptian. She was Macedonian, but she was ruling Egypt. And but she traced her, if you trace her bloodline, it goes back to Ptolemy, who was a Macedonian. So the Egyptian culture doesn't fit that. It, it just doesn't do this. But the Bible is really showing a lot of these ancient cultures, and almost all these, well, practically all of these cultures, save one, has just been erased from human history. They're gone. And so as this has taken place, the Bible lists different cultures. There's all different cultures that are talked about in the Bible and stuff. And as we already mentioned in the first lesson, when God created the world, um, it started off with one man, one woman, Adam. And then um, in, the book of, um, in the book of Luke, you see the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant of Adam. It goes from uh, Adam to Abraham, giving generations, and then from Abraham to David, giving generations, and from, from King David to Jesus. And so he's a direct descendant. And as I told you in the last lesson, Luke is writing his gospel to show that the Messiah would be human. He is of the human race through um, going back all the way to Adam. So, and as I said, many Jews can actually trace their ancestry back. Ancestry is very important to Jews, and so many of them can to this, this day still trace their ancestry back to the Jews of ancient time. Now, the Bible has a lot of great stories in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and in some of these, he condemns nations that exist. He names them and actually tells them they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And that's why, when was the last time you sat down with a 
Moabite. Bet you don't have a Moabite in your class. We don't have Moab anymore. Philistia, the kingdom of the Philistines, totally gone. The Amorites, gone. Amalekites, gone. All these countries, the Assyrian nation, um, it's gone. Oh, you know, it's present-day Iraq, but the ancient Assyrian culture, like the Babylonian culture, is gone. What's really interesting is God said through the prophets, usually it's minor prophets, but some major ones, this is exactly what is going to happen to the future of these countries. And so, and it has happened just like that. I don't know if you ever studied the Old Testament minor prophets. If you ever do, you're going to see some fascinating things because God condemns so many nations and says, I'm going to obliterate you from the planet, except for one, and it's the nation of Israel. If you go to the book of Amos, just the first chapter of the book of Amos, you will see God Read God actually condemning these nations and saying, I'm going to obliterate you. Um, in the first, uh, once you get to verses three through five, here he is just, uh, talking about Damascus. That was the ancient culture of what today is where Syria is. Now, Damascus, the city is still there, but it's not the same culture as it was back in this time period. It was destroyed. Then you get to the next verses, six, seven, and eight of uh, Amos chapter 1, and it's about how Philistia is going to be destroyed. Then you get to verses 9 and 10, it's about the city of Tyre, um, the nation of Tyre, the Phoenician city. It's gone. Today, that's Lebanon. Um, Edom is in eleven verses 11 and 12, the great kingdom of Edom. Many of you probably never even heard of this one. Edom, though you might have seen, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, you've seen parts of Edom, because the ancient city of Petra was their capital. And if you ever, I don't know if you ever go to Israel or anything, or go to um, Jordan and stuff and see these things, nobody lives there. Beautiful buildings cut into stone, massive fortresses, all gone. There's nobody that lives there anymore. Exactly what God would say. He goes on in verses 13, 14, and 15, and he describes the country of Ammon um, being destroyed. And the country of Moab is the next chapter, um, verses 1 through 13. God spends a lot of time talking about how he's going to destroy Moab. Moab is where present-day Jordan sits, and it's gone. Uh, Moab is gone. That culture is gone. And it's interesting because these things happen. For instance, here's another one. In Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 37, God here declares about Babylon, who was a world ruler, actually the Babylonian Empire, you know, under Nebuchadnezzar and stuff, that that culture would come up and be a major power, but it would be utterly destroyed. And it's exactly what happened. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. Daniel details how Babylon fell and stuff, uh, that that great culture would be utterly destroyed. And today, there is no Babylon like that. It's gone. That culture is gone. Um, when we look at, uh, also, in the book of Nahum, another one of these minor prophets, chapter 1, God declares to Nahum that he's going to destroy the, the great uh, civilization of Nineveh. That's the Assyrian Empire. And that is interesting, because both Babylon and Nineveh were considered, tired too, were considered to be impregnable cities, especially Babylon and really, really Nineveh. 
Nineveh was a magnificently large city, as was Babylon, both of these. But at the time that this was being written, Nineveh, in the Old Testament period here, um, when Nahum is living, is like the greatest city in the world, the most powerful city in the world. Nobody in their right mind would ever think <clears throat> that Nineveh could be destroyed. But God says in the book of Nahum how he's going to destroy, not just how, that he's going to destroy it, he tells us how he's going to destroy it. And it was destroyed exactly in history. If you study world history, it was destroyed exactly in the way that God said it would be destroyed. And not only that, he said it would be buried and lost. Do you know that the city of Nineveh, until uh, for almost 2,000 years, was considered a mythical city in archaeology? It wasn't until the mid-1800s that a Christian guy went over looking for it, reading in his Bible about where the city could be. He went there. It's just basically sand. It's very close to the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. And he goes over here and he thinks, um, this is just as archaeology is beginning. He says, it's got to be here. He starts digging down and he found the city that in Nahum said God was going to obliterate and buried. It was buried in the sand, exactly as God said. It's so cool how he condemns these nations and they fall about uh, fall away just as he declares. Now, when we get to the nation of Israel, I mean, we could go on. This is a great Bible study to try sometime if you want. Study what happened. Look at these passages. I've given you a lot of the passages in your book. Take a look at these things and then study the history of these cultures and watch how they just totally fell apart. But look carefully at the who, what, when, where, why, and how of these passages, and you will see they fell exactly as God said. Now, we have people today that walk around, you know, making predictions and stuff. They've always had people like that. God actually says if someone claims to be a prophet and can predict the future, um, if even one of their predictions does not come true, you're supposed to kill them. Amen. Do you know how many people today? <laughs> just think about an election. I am going to be the next governor. I am going to be the next senator. I mean, uh, yeah, right. Okay, let's take them out and stone them since they lost the election. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we don't do that, of course. But that was God's rule for stuff like this. What's fascinating is all these predictions, like I'd mentioned before about Jesus, um, over 200 different prophecies, major and minor ones, all came true. In other words, if God says something, it's going to happen. There's no other religious writing like the Bible that has predictions like that, particularly of nations and how they're going to fall and who's going to replace them, all written about, in some cases, hundreds of, hundreds of years before. As a matter of fact, when, when Babylon falls, it, uh, God even says, who is going to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple? What ruling king will allow it? It's written in the book of Isaiah. The thing is, Isaiah tells us a guy by the name of Cyrus the Great will do it. This is hundreds of years before Cyrus, over a hundred years before Cyrus was even born. Yet God's word specifically said that Cyrus will be the one who will allow my people to go back and rebuild the city. When Isaiah wrote this, the city of Jerusalem was standing. 
But he says, God told him that he will rebuild the city. Thus, that means the city is going to be destroyed. And that Cyrus would order the temple to be rebuilt. When Isaiah wrote this, the temple is standing there. And the Jews were under the impression the, Jew, the, the Jewish temple, Solomon's temple, would last forever. But Isaiah says, uh-uh, because it's going to be destroyed. And a guy named Cyrus will be born about 150 years from now who will order it to be built. And I even have a cylinder. It's on our website. You can watch a lesson. It's on Cyrus the Great. It's a short little video. You can get it on YouTube or whatever, download it for free, and you can hear me talk about what's called the Cyrus Cylinder because they found this thing in an ancient library area of, of um, outside of Babylon, and it actually has... It's a historical writing of what, at the time period, what Cyrus was doing, and this is recorded on that. And it's exactly what the Bible says. I mean, we could go on and on about things like this. It's just absolutely amazing how accurate the Bible is. But now, when we get to the Jews, let's go to the Jews here for a second, because that's what I'll focus on. Concerning what God says with Israel, God promises his friend Abraham that he is going to give give him and his descendants a partial of land. It's the land that in the Old Testament is called Canaan. And it's where Israel is today. But he says, this land I am dedicating and giving to you and your descendants, Abraham. And you can read this um, in Genesis, goes back, that's that old, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, reads, and this is out of the English Standard Version, I will establish my covenant, that's an agreement, a contract, between me and you, this is Abraham, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, uh, to be God, to be, um, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the entire land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting provision, and I will be their God. This is over 4,000 years ago. God makes this promise. God does go on in other books and stuff, and he says that he would chastise them. He's going to punish Israel because they will rebel against him at times, um, but he will bring them back to the promised land. And it's called the promised land because of this passage. God promised this land to Israel. So, um, and all this was proclaimed also, like I say, in Isaiah chapter uh, 45, talks about how Israel abandoned God, God punished them, kicked them out of the land for a time period, but then he says uh, in Isaiah 45, Cyrus will let them come back. Um, The Jews again rebelled against God after that. God this time uses the Romans to chastise his people, and they, and this is written about in the New Testament times, that Um, the Romans would scatter the Jews out of the land, and they would be scattered for a long time. And they would not be able to call that land their own. Other nations would come in and possess that promised land. But God made an everlasting covenant to Abraham that this is still going to be your land. He um, He didn't give it away forever. He said that he would have them kicked out at times, but it's going to be their land. And so his people were scattered all over the world. They remained, and this was so important. 
He told them that even though I will scatter you everywhere to other nations and you'll have to live as foreigners in other nations, you Jews are to remain Jewish. You are still my chosen people. You do not become assimilated into the culture. What do I mean by that? I was talking with a, a, a college student a number of years ago at Fort Wilderness who did one of those Ancestry.coms, and she found out that her people or her genetics goes back to the land of the Assyrians. And of course, I, that country is now gone. That nation's gone. It's Iraq. But she says that they traced her um, early ancestors way back into the land of the Assyrians. Well, the thing is, even though she's a descendant of that, she has been assimilated into our culture today. She doesn't act Assyrian, in other words. That's what I'm saying by being assimilated. The Jews, God told them, particularly in Daniel chapter 1 and in Daniel chapter 3, you remain Jewish. You keep following my laws. You keep doing what I told you. And if you know any Jews, or if you ever go to a Jewish area of a city, they are a peculiar people. And I say that because that's the way they're referred to in the book of Peter. God calls the Jew, Peter calls the Jews a peculiar people. And they are. They have different dietary requirements. They eat differently. Um, we have not done the most uh, kosher type of meals here. Um, if we had an Orthodox Jew on this trip, he'd be losing weight. So... And in Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel and his, his friends, they are transported to Babylon. If you'll catch at the beginning here, this is a prophecy of what's, supposed to, what's going to happen during the times of the Gentiles when, when the, uh, the Jews have been scattered. God is telling Daniel and using Daniel and his three friends to illustrate, don't become Babylonian. Uh, the Babylonians changed their name, changed their clothing, um, tried to change their education and stuff, but they remained, Daniel and his three friends remained true to God. And so that's what that talks about. And Daniel and the three, uh, Daniel's three friends going into the fiery furnace, that was a prophecy also by God saying, you Jews remain true to me, which they were. If you'll recall, everybody else bows down in that story. And you've all seen Rakshak and Benny. So uh, they, everybody bows down, other Jews do, these three don't. And they're put into the fiery furnace. And even so, what happens? God preserves them. He's illustrating, he's making a prophecy. Israel, you are my chosen people. You stay close to me. You do not become assimilated, and I will never, ever desert you. Even if you go through the flames of Holocaust, I will still be with you. And that is exactly what has happened to the Jews. They've gone through numerous Holocausts, and to this day, they have remained faithful to God, following the Old Testament laws and stuff. It, it's amazing how much that has happened. Is there a way I can turn this thing on? Is it right here? Oh, wow. One of them? That didn't work. <laughs> Boy. That makes it a lot easier to read this thing. So, these Jews have been promised that not if as long as they stay true to God, as long as they do not become assimilated, they follow the Old Testament laws and stuff, God is going to fulfill his promise. And he says they will. They're going to go all the way to the very end, uh, the last days of the last days. They have a major role so that they would return to the promised land. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, we read, He will raise a signal 
uh, for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah. That's the Jews. He will gather the Jews from the four corners of the earth. Now, let me just pause for a second, go on a rabbit trail for just a, a moment, if you please. It says the four corners of the earth. This is where some people get into the idea that the Bible is saying that the earth is flat because it says it's got four corners. Now, I hope you guys are bright enough to understand that's an expression like a compass. <laughs> we have a compass. I've had people come up to me, Bible says there's four corners of the earth. Earth is flat. That's what you Christians believe. And I said, well, you must believe it too. Have you ever used the phrase, the four points of the compass? Yeah. Oh, you've done the same thing. Because that's all that is. Talking about north, south, east, and west. It's not saying that earth is flat. Matter of fact, if you go in the book of Isaiah, um, there's a uh, verse in there that talks about the earth, and the Hebrew word for it is the word for a sphere. Cool, huh? Anyway, we continue. So it says here the Jews are going to get dispersed again, which they have, but God is going to call them back, and did you catch it? From the four corners of the world. From anywhere on the earth, he's going to call the Jews back home. And this is happening in the last days. This is a future prophecy when this was written that this would happen way towards the last days of the last days. The Jews, no matter what, where they are scattered all over the country, God's going to call them back home at the end times. That's what that verse is indicating. So what's happening today? Well, this is what's gone on. Since the Roman Empire scattered the Jews everywhere, Jews are all over. As a matter of fact, for the longest time, the United States held one of the largest, uh, for the last almost 100 years, we had one of the largest Jewish populations in the world. And it's dwindled quite a bit now. Germany, of course, had a huge Jewish population. Hitler slaughtered like 4 million of them. Um, Stalin killed many of them. Um, and others have, the, the Jews have gone through Holocaust, like the fiery furnace thing. You're going to go through fire but you are to remain true to me. So God has kept his promise. With, despite being without that land that was promised them for 2,000 years, since the Romans, they haven't had this land, God has now kept his promise. If you have not caught what's going on in the news today and what's been going on, what we're living in. Now they are surrounded by enemies all around, Egypt, Syria, Iran, Turkey, uh, Lebanon, and others, uh, Saudi Arabia. They don't like the Jews. And they say they have no right to this land. Where do we? And I remember having a talk with a very good Christian guy not too long ago, and he says, I really struggle with the Jews because the Jews are taking land they're not supposed to have. And I said, no, uh, 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 hold on. God promised them this back 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, God made a vow, and he can't break his word, that this land belongs to the descendants of Abraham. So, what they're doing, Gentiles kicked them out. They're fulfilling God's command and going back. That's why I don't have a problem with the Jews going back, because God is the one who owns everything. We do not own the land. Talk to any culture, basically. Cultures get overthrown and stuff. But anyway, though they're surrounded by enemies on all sides, though it's been 2,000 years without their own country, they have remained kosher. They have remained Jewish. That's why they're so bizarre, because they still live by the old covenant laws and stuff. So something happened, though. After 2,000 years, basically, of being dispersed all over the world, 
back in 1948, 650,000 Jews went back to that land. It happened in 48. The nations fought with them, saying, you have no right here, get out of here. They claimed the God-given right that God told our ancestor Abraham, this is our land. We can trace our ancestry back. We can trace our culture all the way back. This belongs to us because we don't care what you say. God has told us this is the land. And if you follow what's going on in Israel today, they've just elected a new government. It's an ultra-conservative government, meaning they are really starting to press now the Old Testament covenants and these laws and stuff. It's becoming really uncomfortable for non-Jews and stuff. But that's what's happening. They're, they're fulfilling prophecy. They're coming back to their land. So that was in 1948. Matter of fact, when that happened, it almost caused another world war in 1948. We just finished one world war. Another one almost happened. Many nations, we have now the United Nations, and they're trying to, to get Israel to leave the land. These 650,000, you have no right. And so they took it to the, um, the United Nations. The United Nations was split right down the center when they voted between allowing Israel to have the land, Israel not to have the land. What country made the deciding vote? The United States. It was Harry S. Truman. President Truman cast the deciding vote, siding with Israel. They get the land. We recognized Israel as a land, as a nation in 1948. The UN acknowledged it, that they are now that land there that is theirs. If you've never been to Israel, Israel's land is about the size of the state of Virginia. It's not a big country. It's about the size of Virginia. But that is now that's why they've been there since 48, and the Arab nations around them, uh-uh, we want this, which has been going on since ancient times. So that's what's been happening just of late. Um, and this decimated people and stuff have come back to their land. Today, right now, I just checked the census on this. Uh, as of last year, remember it was 650,000 went back in 1948? Today... The largest Jewish population is no longer in the United States. It's in Israel. There's over 7 million Jews, and families are moving back every day. As a matter of fact, Israel is calling people who are Jewish to come home. Do you know if you're born, if you can prove you're Jewish through your genealogy, you can take a free trip and visit Israel? They pay for everything. They, pay, they will pay your airfare. They pay these people's uh, their meals, their lodging, everything. I've known people who have gone to Israel who are Jewish. They've gone, and they can go anytime they want. The nation always welcomes them, and they'll pick up the, the thing. They'll pick up the tab for it. And what they're trying to do is they're encouraging more Jews to come into the area. Have you heard what's going on, how the Jews are expanding? There's so many Jews that are expanding into the land that right now the Palestinians control and stuff. And so there's where the conflict is. The Jews are reclaiming their land. Palestinians and others saying, you have no right to this. No, we have a God who told us this is what we're supposed to do. So that's what's going on. And today, over 50% of the Jewish population all over the world is found in Israel. Exactly what God said. God also said that when they would return to the land, it would be a wasteland. It would be a land of waste when they would go there in 1948, that it would be just a wasteland. This is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 35, verses 34 through 36. Listen to the description of what God says the, Israel, uh, the Jews will come into when they go back into their land. It says, 
The land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolate that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, the the desolate, the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and uh, replanted that which was desolated. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Give you a challenge to do when you go back home or sometime you get on the internet. Look up images of Israel before 1948. It is a barren wasteland. As a matter of fact, it looks like uh, the Gaza Strip area today, only not as many buildings. Or if you go into Syria, not the building area. It's just land of desolation. As a matter of fact, if you go, um, people who come with me to Israel, we go up to the Golan Heights. We get on top of a mountain and we look out. At the bottom of the mountain is Syria this way, Lebanon that way. And people ask, where's the boundary lines? It's so easy to see. Just look where it's all green and lush. That's Israel where the road is that stops, you know, it's green on one side, a garden on one side, the other side is just barren desert-like. That's Israel. Israel has turned that country, the land of Canaan that they were promised, they have turned it literally into a garden state. I don't know if you guys realize this. Do you know that Israel exports more food in that little land than they import? They are technologically the agricultural leaders of the world. They invented drip irrigation, and they are reclaiming the desert around the Dead Sea and growing plants in what is like a desert. I have, even this last trip I just made, I see more land being reclaimed. It is an agricultural paradise. Israel is so unique with its culture. You can grow practically every, every food, not just wheat, barley, Corn, things like this, bananas, mangoes, watermelons, strawberries, tomatoes, cherries. Uh, They got everything. You can grow anything. It is a garden state. And as we drive around people, as we're going from one place to another on our tour bus, people are just astounded at how much agriculture is all over. And it's just not agriculture. Israel has become the world leader in medicine. They are discovering things faster than we are in the United States. This is a nation that is being blessed by God, just like Ezekiel said it would be, that the nation of Israel will go back to the land, they will re-inhabit cities, they will rebuild cities, and they will turn this desolate wasteland into a new garden like Garden of Eden. That is exactly what it's like. It is a remarkable place. You don't believe me, come with me on tour or watch some of the videos that we have on our website. And that's what it's like. So, We today are living in a very historic moment, whether you realize it or not, as we're coming into what I believe is the last days of the last days. All these prophecies concerning Israel going back have been fulfilled, and they are still being fulfilled. Um, This is not in your book, just to let you know another thing that happened. As I told you, the Jews cannot do sacrifices because they have to do it at the temple. There is no temple. There hasn't been a temple since 70 A.D., in the 360 A.D., right around there, or 390, somewhere in there, A.D., they attempted, the Jews attempted to rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount, where God says it has to be built. A mysterious fire 
an earthquake destroyed what the Jews were working on, scaring the Jews so much that they backed off and they have not tried to start building the temple again since all this time. But what you maybe do not know, they have already, they are planning to build another one. They've already made a bronze altar. They've already made a bronze laver. They've already made the instruments, the trumpets, uh, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. They got all these things, not the Ark of the Covenant. You can't duplicate that. Um, where it's at, who knows? But everything else has been remade or found, and they brought it back, and it's in Jerusalem, and it's being stored under very heavy security, meaning they're ready to re wanting to rebuild a temple. And according to the book of Daniel, the beast, what a lot of people in America call the Antichrist, says that he will stand in the temple and proclaim himself as God, meaning a lot of people take that passage as meaning the temple is going to be rebuilt. The Jews are ready to rebuild their temple. Matter of fact, when I was in Israel just two months ago, I came across, I read, and I even do this on my internet, I, um, on my um, computer, I read a couple of different Israeli papers, um, at least once a week. I'll read the Israeli papers, finding out what's going on. They're going to build a, they're planning on building a new train sta uh, station that goes from the Wailing Wall to the airport to fly into Israel, Tel Aviv. Big deal. The, um, the article showed a picture of the future train station that they are now building. What's interesting is just above that, this is at the Wailing Wall where the temple was, just above is a, is a drawing of the temple. Now, most people just look at that, oh, big deal. They've got it right where it's supposed to be, and they're showing there's going to be a temple. That's what they're... That's what's going on in Israel behind the scenes. And the call, uh, we are actually living in the moment of being able to see this. Now, I don't know when it will be built. They don't know when it's going to be built, but they are prepped and ready. Now, show me any ancient religious writing that is this accurate. There is nothing like this. It's so cool, but that's what's going on today. So we've seen what it was at the beginning. We've seen the pivotal time of history where things are now monitored, the life of Christ. And now we've just looked at what's going on today. Now you see what's happening. And if you listen on the news every day, something is going on in Israel. It is an extremely active news um, area. It's always in the news. So we have some review questions that we'll talk about afterwards, but I just want to close us in prayer and uh, then we'll get going. So Father God, we thank you for your word. For one thing, Lord, what an amazing gift it is and how accurate it is. People will try and tell us that it didn't take place, that these are mythical places, mythical countries, mythical cities, yet archaeology shows that your word is true, that there has never been an archaeological discovery that disproves your word is an amazing fact. And we thank you that you are so still attached, fulfilling your promise to Israel. And if you fulfill your promises to Israel, we know too, Lord, that you fulfill your promises uh, to save us and to have your spirit live inside of us and that we can walk closely with you. And we have eternal life through the death of your son, by which we get are given this through grace, through our faith. And we thank you for it. Please give us a good night's rest. Keep us safe and healthy, Lord, and may the rain go away so we can work some more 
outdoors tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the podcast. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Marine Biology Program or even become a sponsor yourself for the 2024 trip, you can find out more about this program by clicking the links in the description or visiting evidenceforfaith.org slash marine biology or click on the events tab on our website. And with that, have a wonderful rest of your day.